It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each week, we look at sports topics of local interest. A national sports topic or two. We have a gambling segment. And, of course, my favorite segment of the show where you can ask me a question. Use the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything on Twitter and Rick will compile them and ask the best of the best. Um, and we do that at the end of the podcast. Uh, Rick, the sun is shining. The rain has stopped. The weather is turning. Sunsets are going to get uh, a little bit later here soon. Spring is soon upon us, which means college basketball that we're going to get to. But it is nice nowadays when I walk outside and I don't feel like I'm going to freeze my my left you-know-what off as I, as I just walk to the mailbox. You're going to get us canceled, Skinny. Be careful now. We've we've been warned. Uh, left Left big toe. <laughs> Yeah, that's what you're talking about. Exactly. No, I mean, it's March. So you know what I want to talk about. And we're going to get to college basketball. But let's start off with a little baseball talk since it has been some nice weather this week. And we have a little bit of news on the Red side. 21-year-old Hunter Green made a spring training debut for the Reds on Tuesday night against the Los Angeles Angels. Coming off of Tommy John surgery, Green's first three pitches to leadoff batter David Fletcher registered at 101, 102, and 103 miles per hour, respectively, on the radar gun. While his fastball was sharp, his outing wasn't quite as smooth. He gave up a three-run homer to former red shortstop Jose Iglesias on a hanging breaking ball and only recorded two outs in the first inning before the Reds decided to end the inning and move on. Which I love that rule. I I love that rule, by the way. It's a great rule. Yeah, it's like, eh, we're done. Let's let's go to the next inning. Skinny, what was your takeaway from Hunter Green's debut in Arizona? Yeah, I know that it moved the needle for a lot of people. It really didn't for me. I mean, it's always cool when you see somebody throw over 100 miles an hour um, but he's certainly not the first to do it. So it, it doesn't move the needle there. That does show, I guess, that he's back a little bit from Tommy John. I what's gonna move the needle goes to, to the minors and 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 show some level of of production and uh consistency and improvement and all of those things. I know when you see him do that, you're dreaming of the day he's up here doing that for the Reds. But as you mentioned, I also saw a hanging breaking ball that Jose Iglesias hit about 500 feet. I mean, he killed that ball. Um and I just and I hate to do this, but I I always wonder long term about a guy with with the, coming off the arm issue like that at such a young age. And there's a, he's not the only one that does seem to exert a lot on every pitch if he's not best served in a relief role. I just you know I know we got all excited. Remember years ago, Rollers Chapman was going to be a starter, right? And it never they never went they, they they tried to go back to that in a couple of springs, and it never really came to fruition. And to the guy's credit, he's had a really good career as a, as a reliever, um, arguably a great career as a reliever. So I just wonder if the long term future for Hunter Green is somewhere other than being a starter and it's maybe being a reliever and maybe it is I it just didn't do much for me just because it's it's so far in the future to see him in a red uniform and I still have to see him do some things at the minor league level that other than him throwing a couple pitches at 100 miles an hour all I can think of is you know you hung a breaking ball to a guy who shouldn't hit you 500 feet like he just did so it it honestly didn't do much for me and I, I hate to be that guy. Ah, come on. I mean, if this was any veteran, I mean, this was Trevor Bauer or, or uh, Sonny Gray or any veteran that hung a breaking with ball a, in their first with, outing with, in spring training, you wouldn't care at all. I mean, spring training means nothing. These guys are just throwing well, the, that's my, and that's, and that's, and, through and the that's, paces. And, yeah, and that's kind of my point about the Hunter Green thing. Okay, great. He threw it 100 miles an hour a few times, but it, it just did. It didn't make me go, boy, he's he's got a chance to come up and be ready this year. No, I, I, I it, all I saw is a guy that you knew what he was. He could throw the ball 100 miles an hour when he's a high school kid. And yeah, well, yeah, that's no, I mean, that's fair. You shouldn't, you certainly shouldn't be thinking, oh, he's ready to help the Reds right now. I don't think many people had that expectation or that takeaway, but 
you have to say you see a guy like that throwing 100 102 that's a face of the organization type guy if it all works out and it comes to fruition at the major league level at some point and i know you're right there's a ton to prove before then we've got a long way to go before he's in the major leagues but i mean from a fan's perspective you got to be able to understand a little bit why people would get excited about a guy up there throwing 103 miles an hour that looks like Hunter Gree. I mean, he is an impressive looking prospect. Aroldis Chapman was electric. He was fun to watch when he was in Cincinnati. And I will say, as far as him not being able to be a starter, Aroldis Chapman had no other pitches. I mean, he had nothing else to go with his, his heat. That, that's why he ended up being ultimately a closer. We have other examples of guys throwing really hard guys like Steven Strasburg who had arm trouble and came back from it and still end up being an elite pitcher. I don't think it's, fair to necessarily rule out Hunter Green as a potential starter for the Reds down the line. No, no. And I think that's the, the long-term plan is for that. I, I just, I, I guess it's to me, I'm, I, I just have to see him do it for an extended period of time in the minors before it starts to move my needle. I, I was more, you know, the, the needle moved more for me uh, watching what TJ Antone did the night after Hunter Green, which was last night, Wednesday night, we're doing this podcast on a Thursday morning. Um, his two innings of relief made me go, wow. Okay. That, that, that guy's got a chance to really help because I saw, some of the good things he did last year. I'll tell you what else moved the needle for me is the fact that Brandon Finnegan threw two scoreless innings when I didn't even remember the red signing Brandon Finnegan, for goodness sakes. Yeah, that's a great point. I forgot about, I <laughs> forgot about his existence too, until I saw that the other night. But I mean, again, spring training is like, who is Anton even pitching to? Cause I do know Hunter Green at least faced three major leaguers. What, while he was fact. starting, I don't know if Anton a, was even facing major, like spring training stats fact. and success mean less than zero to me. No, I no, absolutely. I agree with, and I'm with you. I agree with that, but it just, the way Anton threw the ball, I thought he threw it really well, just watching him and that. Yeah. And I mean, that, I'm excited yeah. about him in general. Cause he yes. showed us something last year. I think he could be a big part, whether it's as a starter or in the bullpen. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, with the Hunter green thing, I just, I get the hype. I mean, it is fun to watch a guy go out there, look that athletic, throw the ball the way he did. And it's good to see the fact that he's coming off the arm surgery. Clearly he hasn't lost anything off his, his power game. So, um, I thought it was exciting. What is, what is kind of your expected timeline? I mean, you said it's going to be a while. When do you think it's possible that we may see Hunter green at That's the major league level, if everything works out right. The, the thing that last year for a lot of these guys, and especially the hundred greens in the world coming off of a surgery did a disservice to them is they just didn't get a chance to play games. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's unfortunate because it's been what two plus years since hundred green, you know, pitched in a minor league game. Um, and where does he fit this year? Does he fit at high a to start double a you throw him right away at triple a when you, you know, you, you kind of want to get his confidence back a little bit too. So where, where does he even slot? So, I mean, it, 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 unless he just somehow breezes through the minors this year, and I just don't know if I believe that's going to take place. Um, you know, it's, I'll be more hyped next spring about her green if I, if he has some success in the minors th- th- this year. And, um, that to me is where I'm at. And that's why I guess kind of shrugged my shoulders and went, okay, I, I've seen, you know, this is what I've known of the guy all along anyway. It is good to see him healthy, but I'm also, probably cognizant of the fact that they're not going to run the kid out there in a spring game if he's not healthy and it's been a long time since the surgery um and that's why i say it just it's done for me maybe hell who knows if he if he threw at prasco last year maybe he wowed people nobody knows <laughs> um so I, I just i have to see games i have to see production in games I, you know I don't, I don't have to physically see his games but i need to see production in games in the minors before i can put the hype meter back on for hunter green it, it's funny because you mentioned last year and i on one hand I think it was probably good for his rehab or best for his rehab. There's no 
itch for anyone, including himself, to try to rush anything. You know, there's no, there was nothing for him to get back for last year at any point. So I, yeah, I mean, I know call- he did workouts yeah. and throwing, but I think ultimately right. missing the year was probably good for his rehab in terms of his health. At the same time, to your point, I mean, you just missed out on so much development, not just for him, but for all of those guys at the lower levels. And Nick Lodolo being another one who I think it really impacted. And he's a guy that I think the Reds may be counting on a little bit sooner than Hunter yes. Green. And I'm yeah, no, and I was going to him too. Yeah, that's a good. That's exactly the point I was going to make. I, I I think that's exactly right. I if I had to make book on it, I think you see Nick Lodolo way before you see Hunter Green, and that's not a bad thing. And that doesn't no. mean Hunter Green. I mean Hunter Green's still a kid. I mean he's still a baby for goodness sake. So I mean in um, theory, th- th- think about like you said. Okay, let's say Hunter Green has a, a great year this year. He, he moves up a couple levels in the minors, and next year coming into spring training, you're thinking potentially he's gonna compete for one of those final jobs or if not he's a candidate to bring up sometime during the year you have Nick Lodolo potentially competing for one of those back end spots of the the starting rotation and you've got at least three legit guys right now I mean you could have a pretty solid rotation or within the next Gray's year. contract so you could have a, a solid rotation maybe even pretty good with with high upside within the next year or two no no question and, now, and that's, I mean that's Maybe no, a, a little it, bit of a it, pipe dream, but no, but but if it all comes to fruition, you do. You have Sonny Gray, Castillo, Tyler Malley, um, and then Lodolo and Hunter Green, and and who knows where Michael Lorenzen fits into that mix. Maybe it's still best served. He's a bullpen guy, and TJ Antone. You suddenly have some guys that you've developed, and that, that's the thing. The Reds need to have some guys that they develop. You know, um, I wrote a piece about three years ago and took some flack for it about how they've they've just done such a poor job of drafting and developing pitchers, and it goes back to some of the Jim Bowden era draft picks. Um, you know, and, and that's why I think the Reds during the rebuild found themselves in such a bad spot. They just had nothing from within to, to plug into place. And so through a little free agency, through a couple of trades, and then you need to develop some of your own. And that, that's the part, hopefully that Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo, those two look, look to be from just a sheer arm talent perspective, legit, but I've also seen some of those guys that have flamed out along the way too. But yeah, I, I think that's the good part is if you can have those two guys who came through your system, Tyler Malley would have come through your system. Okay. Now you're developing some of your own that you, if you're the reds, I'm sorry, you're, you're not winning by outspending people, outsiding people. You're doing it by either getting a, a trade at the right time for a prospect that, that you had to deal one of your stars for um, and, or, develop your own. And so that that's the, that's the good part to some of this is you're starting to maybe see them develop some of their own. Yeah. It does kind of stink that it, it's probably not going to be too relevant this season, but if you ask me what I'm most excited about when it comes to Reds baseball in the future, it's those two names, Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo. I'm really excited to see what those guys can bring because I think you have to have an elite starting pitching rotation to compete at the highest level in this sport, or really to make the postseason in general, that gives and you're you the not best doing- chance. And, and you're not they, doing it out spending teams. Right. And and the Reds have a legitimate chance if those two guys both end up being at least legit starters in the majors. They don't necessarily have to be aces or number twos. If they can be number threes and number fours with that type of arm talent, they still give you a chance where you feel like when they take the mound, you got a chance to win the game. And to, that that really excites me about the potential of this team down the line. Yep. All right, Skinny, you know I've been itching to talk about this. The quarterfinals of the Horizon League stole the show around the sports world on Tuesday night. It started with NKU's 70-69 win on a tip-in at the buzzer by David Bam, but the night was just beginning there. That was shortly followed by eight-seed Milwaukee taking down two-seed Wright State 94-92 in overtime. Three-seed Oakland needed overtime to get past six-seed Youngstown State 87-83, and it took top overall seed Cleveland State 
three overtimes and 108 points to finally dismiss Purdue Fort Wayne 108-104. Skitty, what did you think of the Wild Night in the Horizon League tournament? And what do you think NKU's chances are of making it a three-peat in Indianapolis? Let me just tell you, it's a good thing that those were all home site games. Can you imagine one site starting at whatever time? God knows when that thing would have ended that day, right? Yeah, we would have been there at about 4 a.m. Wow. I mean, trying to figure out who NKU plays next. Could could you truly imagine if that had occurred at one site? Oh, my heavens. The buzz about that. I I think the lack of buzz about it to some degree is just because it occurred at different places. And probably there's people around the country that didn't even know they were even in their league tournament. But that's got to be the single greatest night of tournament college, uh, you know, tournament basketball, um, conference tournament basketball ever. I mean, I, I can't even imagine anything that's come close to something like that. For one conference, I mean, it, that's, it's hard to imagine. I mean, literally, could could you literally? And we've all done it, right? I mean, as as journalists and writers, the worst place you can be is if you're the one that has to cover the late game and the late game's on deadline, and suddenly the late game that was supposed to tip at nine thirty, where you had about ten minutes to gather your thoughts and write on write a running game story and get it all in, suddenly is then tipping at ten forty because everything else started. I mean. I, I, I can't imagine if all that had taken place at one site. Uh, I mean, the, the, just the level of buildup and buzz and excitement, it would have almost been, all right, we just went to one overtime, top it. Oh, wait, you went to two? Oh, wait, you went to three? Oh, wait, you just wanted to tip in at the buzzer? Uh, that, that's just, that's phenomenal. I thought of the media coverage angle that you just mentioned. I also thought of our degenerate friends out there who may have been betting oh, on any oh. of those games. What a sweat for that night if you happen to be on Really, any of those games? They all. The only, yeah, the only one he didn't sweat probably, although they were down big at one point, was uh, was was Milwaukee because it was like a thirteen point spread. So you really didn't sweat it, except for at one point when oh. Wright State was leading by a big number. So you. you but once yeah, it got, I to was going to say, time, I, I I totally disagree. You were you were down. You had a zero percent win probability at one point in that game. I mean, that's that's as thrilling of a win you as you could possibly get as a better. So I mean, maybe not sweating in a bad way, but that had to be exhilarating. Yeah, I, that's just uh, that that's silly. As for NKU's chances, Rick, I did a and I've been doing this for every conference tournament. I do like a kind of a preview. If we put a schedule and, and look at teams that get a chance to get to the NCAA tournament, what they need to do and who's maybe a dark horse, who's the team to beat. And then the local team's path to the title. Um, my dark horse got knocked out in Valpo. I just kind of like their draw. Um, no, uh, and, no, and, and I, no, yeah, no. Valpo is no longer in the conference. That's uh, not Valpo. Right. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm at Youngstown. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Youngstown. Sorry. Yeah. Good call. No, Youngstown was kind of my dark horse. They got knocked out. Um, I, and I had, um, I, I had Wright state is clearly the team to beat. I mean, and I think you would agree with that going in. I mean, they were 60 Ken Palm. The next highest was 141, I believe in Ken Palm. And then that was kind of the bunch of, yeah. it was clear. I think actually Detroit was 141, then 143 right now. So yeah, that sounds yeah, right. And, and then NKU. So they were kind of all bunched together. So that's a, you gotta admit, that's a pretty big Ken Palm swing. And to be 60 in the country in Ken Palm is right. It was, that's pretty legit, right? <laughs> in terms uh, so of I metrics, thought, that's heads and shoulders above the rest of the league. Right. And so they were clearly, in my opinion, the team to beat. But I did have, uh, and then I do a predicted outcome. A predicted outcome was Wright State beating NKU in the final. So I did think NKU, the way they are playing, they had won eight of their last 10 to close things out. Um, you know, the fact that they garnered the split with uh, with uh, with Wright State, and it wasn't a fluky split. I mean, both those games were really good basketball games, and um, that shows me how legit NKU was at the end of the year. So now the door opens, and yeah, you can argue Cleveland State is the one seed, and yeah, Cleveland State did uh, did sweep NKU, but I, I'm, I'm, I feel really good about the way they're playing, Rick. And yeah, you can argue they got a little fortunate with a, with a, th- a third tip-in finally going at the buzzer. 
in these one bid leagues, you're going to win at least one game like that along the way. And hell, you might win all three games like that along the way. Well, and what we've seen from NKU this year, especially with this young group. And as you mentioned, you look at the Ken Palm metrics, Wright State is way ahead of everyone else in the 60s. They're, they're like a high major team almost. You look at the rest of the conference, though, they're all bunched pretty tight together. Right. There's right. not a lot of separation between those teams. So it's been very competitive all year. And because of NKU's youth, they've had trouble maintaining leads growing leads you know they've they've pretty much fought back and forth with teams all year long we've called a lot of close games it's been a really fun year to be covering a team because they've had their share of success and they've had a lot of close games and and big wins at the end of games just like this one so i i think the the way i would put it is you you felt like pretty much anyone anyone else in the conference had to play their absolute best to get a win over right state and now that with the teams that are left, that isn't the case. NKU doesn't right. have to play their A-plus game to beat Cleveland State. They certainly don't have to do that to, to beat Oakland. They can just be who they've been, especially over the last month of the season, and they've got a very, very legit chance of winning this whole thing. And I just think the way they're playing, I mean, it's not like they won two of their last eight. I mean, they're they're winning those games. They're finding ways in those games. They're outplaying teams in some of those games just by outplaying them. So I yeah. I, I think they're, I thought their chances were good going in. I just didn't think they could beat Wright State if they'd matched up a third time just because, again, Wright State's just better. But don't got to worry about them any longer. You know, one thing that you saw with this coaching staff last season was that they really like to get their best players in their spot, you know, where they're best at, where they're most successful, where they can exploit a defense. They like to do that and repeat it and do it as much as they can. And you saw that last year because Tyler Sharp had multiple 30-point games. Dantes Walton, who had never shown scoring potential like that, had multiple 30-point games. Jalen Tate had, uh, I think, a 30-point game himself and some other monster scoring performances. They've shown that's kind of their strength on the offensive end is getting their guys into those spots. And with this team, what's kind of developed is all of a sudden, it's no longer just Marquez Warwick, the, the freshman bucket getter, and Trayvon Faulkner, your experienced athlete, that you have to get into those spots. Now, all of a sudden, you've got Bryson Langdon playing out of his mind and really doing a great two-man pick-and-roll game with Adrian Nelson. You have the freshman David Bam, who is starting to develop into a matchup nightmare for teams in the Horizon League because he's 6'9". He can stretch the floor and space it on the perimeter by knocking down threes. And he's all of a sudden found some toughness and fight inside and he was the guy who got that tip in at the buzzer because he's in there rebounding and and so now all of a sudden what you have if you're Darren Horn and his staff if is you have four or five different ways you can pick on a team or exploit a matchup and in the horizon league if you've got that many options you're going to find a weak link somewhere and you're going to be able to exploit it and that's what they've done a really good job of recently yeah and that, that's the thing um I, you know the other teams in the league have a couple of really good guys each but if one of those has an off night or you find a way to take them out of the mix, do they have multiple answers? The answer is probably no. I think Oakland's got some dudes, but they were 10 and 17 for a reason. I mean, and again, I know some of it was they, they played pretty good out of league. They always do. But I just I, I think you're right. I think NKU's got a lot of different. In fact, I, I was coaching a game that night and hopped in the car right as um, Faulkner made the layup to cut it to one. So I'm listening to the end of it with you and Jim. And, and at the end, I, I, in my mind, I kept thinking, so who are you going to run this last set for? Who's it going to go to? It can go to anybody. Um, you know, in my mind, I'm like, uh, probably Marquez work, right? He's done a lot of good things. He's the guy. But in my, I, I was actually going through that my, in scenarios of maybe just play this and whatever happens, happens because you trust all five guys on the floor. Do those other teams have those factors where they got five guys that can beat you? I don't think they do. 
Yeah, I, I definitely don't think you see many other teams playing that way. And and to me, it's not even as much about having different guys. You know, I mean, like for instance, Detroit had four different guys who could really shoot it from the outside, but only two of those guys, Antoine Davis and Bull Qual, could really go get their shot. You know, the, the other two guys are just kind of more standstill shooters. And with NKU, you have four or five different active ways where you can run something with these guys and they can either put you in a, in a tough matchup and, and beat a mismatch, or they can run an action that they're really good at reading and playing off of, or it's just been a lot of different ways that they've found to exploit defenses. And I think that's what, what gives me the, the most optimism about them heading to Indianapolis. Agreed. I, I I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm uh... I'm now going to, I guess, going to be disappointed if they don't win because now that it's kind of broken wide open for them. It won't be a disappointing season. We talked about that last week that there's nothing else they really had to do to make this season a success. When you get close enough now to 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 being able to to feel it and the and the and the big bullies no longer in it, you got to feel good about your chances. Yeah, I mean, you have to feel good at the same time. They're playing with house money, you know. I mean, you look right. at what this means for their future and, and the type of run they could go on over the next few years, and uh, it's it's pretty awesome. So, yeah, the, the way they've continued this success right after John Brandon left, that's really hard to do, as we've seen at other schools. When you have a coaching change, a lot of times there's a rebuild process, and fortunately, they were left with some good players. But this year, most of those guys were gone. You know, they lost pretty much all their production from last season. So they've really had to uh, build this thing back up quickly, and they've done a great job of that. All right, on Sunday night's College Hoops podcast, we talked about Xavier's huge win over number 13 Creighton at the Cintas Center and how important it was for the Musketeers' NCAA tournament at large hopes. Well, actually turned around and gave all that goodwill right back on Tuesday night as the Musketeers dropped a game at Georgetown 72-66. to X will wrap up its regular season on Saturday night at Marquette. First, Skinny, what do you make of this Xavier team and its inconsistencies on the offensive end? And also, what do you think of XU's at-large hopes now? That, that, the, that's the part that flabbergasts me, is, is, and we talked about this real early in the year. It just seemed like this was a team that you didn't have to have one or two guys every night. Najee Marshall, Paul Scruggs have big games to win. You had multiple options that could score. And then you added multiple options on top of it when suddenly Adam Kunkel became eligible. And now they are just a train wreck on offense. And I don't under, I mean, you follow So I'm going to turn on you. What do you, what do you think has happened offensively? Cause it's clear that's the end that they're, I mean, I know they've talked defense, but my goodness gracious, they are just struggling terribly on the offensive end. I, I can't tell you it's as simple as they don't have Nate Johnson. I, I look, he's a big part of what they do. He certainly is a guy that's going to make three. I don't think it's that simple. I, I don't want to use the term identity and maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe that's part of it. Maybe they don't have, have an offensive identity. They don't have a, a, a person you can serve. You got to have one, go, go through this guy to get it. I thought Zach Freeman was that guy. I, honestly, I don't know what's happened offensively. What, what do you make of it? Interestingly enough, as much as I hate that identity conversation, because I think it's just a buzz term and a lazy narrative that a lot of people use. I think with regards to this year's Xavier team, if you're looking for one area to criticize Travis Steele so far, and this would go back the first two years as well, but even more so this year because I think you have more of a team designed in his image. It's more his guys. They're not quite there yet. You got a lot of young pieces still, and I think that's part of the issues they're having and some of the immaturity you're seeing where they're tying their their missed shots to their defensive effort and their toughness and their rebounding at times. I think that got them at Georgetown. But I think one of the the big things with this steel team is that 
the identity or their best chance to reach their full potential was to be a team that moved the ball around the perimeter, that knocked down a lot of threes, that played kind of a high-octane offense, even if they weren't flying up and down the court and, and pressing or anything like that. But when things have gotten tough and they've faced adversity, it seems like Steele has kind of reverted back to we need to be a toughness and defensive-minded team when that's not really their strength. I mean, he's really hung on to this lineup with Jason Carter at the forward spot despite him failing to give them any offensive productivity and watching team after team just not guard him, make things more difficult on Paul Scruggs, on Zach Fremantle, on Colby Jones, on Adam Kunkel. So if, if there's one area where I would be most critical of Steele, it's that we've it's been pretty clear for a while now. CJ Wilcher is super bought in. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. He certainly has physical limitations on the defensive end, and he's going to hurt you there. He's not going to be as good as Jason Carter on the glass or on the defensive end. But he gives you a threat offensively. He has a high IQ. He can knock down shots. He is a threat from the outside. And he's, he's not, you know, it's different from where Kiki Tandy and everyone was asking for him to play more when he didn't look like he was locked in and he wasn't aware of where he was at on defense. And he was hurting you on that on the court because he was out of position and he would take bad shots and he would turn the ball over right when he got into the game. See what CJ Wilcher wasn't doing any of that stuff. He was solid when you were putting him in there for Jason Carter. And you can also play Colby Jones at that forward spot too, and just go with a, a smaller lineup overall. So that would be my biggest thing is I'm not real sure why when things have gotten tough, and why, you know, when they when they fell behind by double digits in the second half at Providence, they're still going with a lineup with Zach Freeman and Jason Carter at the four and the five and not getting anything out of that forward spot. I would go with the smaller lineup. It's proven to help them. And by the way, when you look at the rebounding, they got killed on the offensive glass in the first half against Georgetown, playing with the bigger lineup with right. Jason Carter on the floor. In the second half, they scored seven of their eight second chance points, meaning Xavier. They had 11 of their 12 offensive rebounds with a smaller lineup on the court and, and, and Carter either off the court or at the five in place of Fremantle. So to me, that would be... The biggest thing, if you, you kind of want to point the finger, you want to say something they could have done or something you wish you would have seen them do differently, that would be my biggest gripe. But again, I do think a couple of not excuses, but real issues for this team. One right now, Nate Johnson is out, and that does definitely hurt them. And two, I think you're asking some of your best players and the guys who are going to lead you forward into this era of Travis Steele basketball and this more skilled and more continuity flow style of offense are young guys. I mean, Zach Fremantle is, is really good. He might be a first team all biggie selection, but he has a shortcoming still because he's only a sophomore and Colby Jones is only a freshman, but he looks like he's going to be really good. And same with Dwan Odom and, and Adam Kunkel transferred here to sit out for a year and get bigger and stronger and improve his game. And, and you instead, needed more from Paul Scruggs the other night, too. I mean, let's face it, he, no, he needed to give you much more. Yeah, he he has to be their best guy. But my, my overall point is some of their best talent, because Paul Scruggs hasn't been up to the challenge every night, are younger guys or a guy like Kunkel who expected to sit out this year and improve himself. And instead, he was ruled eligible in the middle of the season. And so now he's trying to help them and he's in a big slump. That's not entirely surprising. And it doesn't necessarily say that he can't help you going forward in the future. So... That, that's, that's a long-winded version of it, but that's kind of where I'm at on this team. Yeah, as far as their at-large chances, I mean, it's, I guess, as good as some of those others on the bubble. It's, what, what have you done for me lately? I know, I think I checked Bracket Matrix right before the podcast, and I think 
the there third were five team. I think there were five teams still below them as at larges. So they're still in that mix. Um, I, I would say this, um, don't lose the Marquette. Do, don't lose the first round of the Big East tournament um, or you're really sweating on Selection Sunday. And maybe you're not even sweating it. Maybe you're out at that point. But beat Marquette, win a game in the Big East tournament. I think you're still sweating it, but you're feeling a whole lot better. Yeah, if they get two more wins, I think they're pretty much in. If they, but the problem is, But the problem is I'm not sure I can find a win for them right now. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing. If you can beat Creighton, then you can certainly beat Marquette. You can certainly beat who would be Seton Hall in the first round of the East lose, tournament. I but I would flip that and say, if you lose to Georgetown, I, I can just, lose to I, anyone. Right, right. Yeah. And that's the thing with this team. It's just like, there doesn't exactly seem to be a rhyme or reason for which team is going to show up from game to game. So I wouldn't put it past them that they'll go out, go out and beat Marquette Saturday night. That wouldn't shock me at all. They could make a run in the big East tournament. And that wouldn't be entirely surprising, but like you said, they could also lose to at Marquette. They haven't been very good on the road at all. And if they lose to Marquette, I think it's over. I don't, I mean, you'd have to make, you'd have to win the entire Big East tournament, I think, at that point. Maybe. But yeah, if maybe. you win at Marquette, I think you still have a pretty good shot of getting in. Uh, it'll be a sweat if you don't win at least one at the Big East tournament, though. Yep. Speaking of losses, Kentucky dropped another one on Tuesday at Ole Miss 70 to 62. The Wildcats now sit at eight and 15 on the year and seven and nine in the SEC. During the game on Tuesday, analyst Jimmy Dykes talked at length about UK's future following a one-on-one he had with John Calipari. Among other things, Dykes said he expects Calipari to bring in another seven- or eight-man class this offseason, saying, quote, with this conversation, when we talked about recruiting, everything is on the table, Dykes said. Transfers, high school players, international guys, but I think the conversation will go deeper in terms of are we making sure we're getting our kind of guys? Do we have a breakdown guard? That's what Cal has always had. That's when he's always been at his best, and he just doesn't have it this year. You have to get it fixed with your roster, with recruiting, making sure you're going after that guy every year, and not just one, but two. Skinny, are you finally completely out on UK's chances at turning this around and making a run in the SEC tournament? Oh, and no what did you make of Dyke's comments? No, I, I think I think the, that that's certainly what's got to happen. It's just a matter of, and I've gone back with this with with you and Chad on the college basketball podcast. I just don't know if if those elite guys are going to be out there going to the Kentuckys of the world in mass any longer, um, there's going to be some other options for them. There already are. There may be a new option that we're going to talk about here in a second. Um, I think some guys are looking and going, you know, I don't want to be one of five guys and I just want to go be one of one in for this team and go get my minutes and go get my buckets. And um, I'm going anyway. So why go to Kentucky? And so I, I think you're back at that stage of, you better be building two, three, four-year teams as opposed to trying to get one-year fixes. And, you know, this roster we've talked about is a mess, but there's also some individual talent on this roster that, that i got to be honest with you, still shouldn't be below 500 searching for a 10th win. You know, Olivier Saar is a legit player. Um, Davion Mintz is a legit shooter. B.J. Boston was a high-level recruit. Um, yeah, you've had problems at point guard and for whatever reason, Devin asks you keeps, he, he's reverted. I mean, he gives you absolutely nothing at this point of the game, which then I go back to, listen, I, I get that these could have been issues in January when you had the off season you had and you had the, 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 the convoluted year, but man, we're now, and you heard all the time, we're not at that stage where freshmen shouldn't be freshmen any longer. And yes, I realize he should be a high school player still, but he's reverted. Um, 
I, yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm certainly there's, there's, there's no way they make a run through the conference tournament. I, I just can't see. I mean, they, they're in the eight nine game. It may be worse than that, which actually may be better for them. They'd be better off getting to the ten seven game probably. The eight nine game is going to get you um, a tough first game, and then you got Alabama, and that just gets you to the semis. I mean, <laughs> you get through that, I think that would be a win win for for Kentucky just to do that. Let alone then have to win two more against two probably NCAA tournament teams. Now this, this season's been a disaster. You know, he gets a pass to some degree, but I, I just think you're starting to see a little changing of the guard as far as you're just not getting that in mass level of, of elite talent. So you better be building your program for more than just that specific year. And I just don't know if he's willing to do that. I think the the one point, and we've talked about this with Cal, the one point that Dykes made that I agree with is that Cal has to make sure he's getting the right guys. And I think at times this year specifically, and this year reminds me of that 2012, 2013 year. It's not quite as bad, but if he doesn't have that point guard that can create and break the defense down, it's, it's a struggle. And it it just seems like his system doesn't work. And I go back to that team that it was basically like Ryan Harrow and Archie Goodwin trying right. to run the point for that team. And they had a lot of talent. I mean, Alex Poitras, Kyle Wilter, Willie Cauley-Stein, Nerlens Noel. I mean, they had some dudes on that team too. And they ended up losing 12 games that year and losing to Robert Morris in the first round of the NIT. That team kind of jives with this team in, in regards to what Dykes is saying. And, and that if Cal does not have that break you down point guard, his system really, really struggles. And so I think there is something to be said about even if you're not able to get those game changing one and done freshmen every year, you might need to make sure you're getting more of the right guys. And part of that may be he has to make sure he has multiple break you down point guards, because if the one's not going to be an elite game changer, you better try another one. You better have another guy to at least go to. And the the other thing is maybe find some more shooters to come well, okay. those guys and, and, and keep and, those around like we've talked about at length. Yeah. That, that's a great point. So that goes back to kind of what we've talked about with the pack line defense, right? Maybe there just needs to be a philosophical change in what you do on offense because the game has changed. Alabama has shown that in a very quick fashion. They basically got guys that can get downhill and other guys that make shots, and that's what their offense is predicated on. It can sometimes be rough to watch on a night where you don't make shots, but damn, Nate Oates has transformed that program pretty darn quickly into, what are they going to be, a two-seed, three-seed at worst? That's a pretty good transformation. And so maybe that's where... Um, Cal needs to change philosophically on how things are done offensively. It's just not what they're doing just isn't today's game. And I, I look, the game evolves and changes it. And, um, that's where it goes back to the whole philosophical thing of pack line defense. Can you, can you play it? Sure. But you better have the right guys to, to get that done. And so, um, I think that's yeah, the I mean, biggest do, thing. Almost do, any do, system do, can work if you have your guys. Yeah. Do you think that he thought Devin Askew was that guy? I, that's that's really fascinating to me. I'd love to know what his expectation for Devin Askew was coming into this year when he realized that, hey, we're relying on Devin Askew to be our point guard, and it's him or Davion Mintz, which he clearly didn't want to do, as he said on senior day, that he expected Davion Mintz to be their fourth or fifth guard this year. So, right. yeah, I mean, I would love to know where his expectations were at. I didn't know much about Devin Askew coming in. He certainly didn't have the type of hype of uh, – you know, one of your John Walls or, or guys right. like that. So that's been the biggest issue for this team that I've seen. So I, I think, you know, Cal's 
break you down off the, the bounce, the dribble drive, the, the oops, lobbing it up to like, if you had a legit point guard that was forcing help defense constantly, could you imagine what Isaiah Jackson could do in a normal Cal system with a lot of lobs? And they're just not able to get to that point this year because no one's well, getting in the lane regularly. And, and, and you know, but that's, it, it's easier said than done to say, go get an elite level point guard. Um, but a, I don't think it has to be, are- it, it, you know, it's best when he has an elite level guy, but I don't think it has to be an elite level guy, but you better make sure you have a guy who can play that way. I don't think Devin Askew, Devin Askew looks like a advance the ball up the court, sets you up, run your stuff. Hopefully he develops a better jumper down the line. But to me, he doesn't look like a, going to blow you away in a dribble drive motion offense. Yeah, no, he certainly doesn't. So here's the question then for, for Kentucky. They've got um, uh, a game still left with, with South Carolina and then the conference tournament. Does he go back to Mince at the point and maybe put a Dante Allen in and just say, you know what, I, I know this is probably not my best point guard, but I got to tweak something here to give us any kind of fighting chance in the conference tournament. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think I think he'll do something like that. I think he'll give everyone a chance here to, in the last two games that they're guaranteed, South Carolina first round of the SEC tournament. But I don't know that that makes much difference. Like, I don't, I don't think, think Dante Allen is a difference I don't, maker I don't right either. now. I don't either. But it's just this – you talk about a disastrous season. And the worst part is it just doesn't feel like there's a ton in the pipeline. You know, we, we've talked in terms of UC, right, and how do you feel about the future. Right now, if I'm a Kentucky fan looking at the future, I ain't feeling very good. Well, I, I'm not. I mean, it's it's tough to say. Like th- again, Dyke says they're going to bring in seven or eight new guys. Well, I'm looking at the and? roster right now. You've got Brandon Boston. You've got Isaiah Jackson. You've got Terrence Clark that can get drafted l- realistically. So maybe all three of those guys go. But afterwards, you're still left with seven or eight guys who could come back for another year. So you got to assume at least two, three, four of those guys are leaving. Right. If, if they're planning on bringing seven or eight new names in, which I imagine Cal wouldn't say that if he wasn't. Uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of roster restructuring. But look, I don't think it's like uh, Devin Askew or a Jacob Toppin or a Dante Allen or a Lance Ware or even a Keon Brooks couldn't be better if they come back for another year and, and stay within the system. We've seen guys get better in their second piece. or their third yeah. years at Kentucky as a, complimentary, as a complimentary piece. Sure. But he, they need some complimentary pieces to stay in the program. That's their issue right now. But they you then need to bring some stars. Right. But then you better hope you got stars coming in. And well, I, and that's always been his model. That's where they're not getting away from that. And I, I think that's look th- last year, as much as we've talked about Cal having to reset his roster every year, Last year was an extreme case. It was 96% of their scoring, 97% of their mids. You know, I mean, it was like pretty much everything. A lot of years, it's most of it, but you still have a guy or two that you know is going to be your guy coming in. This year, they didn't have anything that they could count on coming back. So I think it was a unique year. You certainly didn't have any type of offseason. I don't think it's like Cal's way of doing things is over yet. But I do think to Dykes' point, there, there are some things that they need to consider going forward with their recruiting to avoid situations like this. I mean, it is just flat out unthinkable that UK would fail to win 10 games. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, I, I, I can't even fathom that idea and it's, you know, they're at eight wins right now. They're going to need to I mean, win two in a row here to get to 10. I, I don't know if that's going to happen. You remember the running joke about Tubby Smith was 10 lost Tubby. Yeah. It's not going to be 10 win Cal. It's, it's going to be not even, not even 10 win Cal. Yeah. Not great. Not great. All right. Skinny, you mentioned uh, another option that might be popping up for elite prospects. It's 
being branded this way. Overtime Elite is a new basketball league for up-and-coming elite high school prospects offering a year-round developmental program by combining coaching, sports science, and performance technologies, facilities, and an academic program that not only benefits players at this point in their career development, but also as they progress into the professional ranks. The single-site league, beginning in September in a city still to be determined, features approximately 30 elite boy basketball prospects, each earning a six-figure salary and the ability to participate in revenue from use of their name, image, and likeness, including through the sale of customized jerseys, video games, NFTs, which uh, I'm fascinated to hear if you know what that means, or trading cards as they also retain the right to sign direct sponsorship with sneaker companies. To me, this sounds a lot like the developmental team they're trying to do at the G League level too, but it's its own entity. And if, you, if you're not familiar with Overtime, that, that company, they are a social media company that started off doing like highlight videos on Instagram. They've now expanded and they do kind of like reality series on social media with young middle school, high school type prospects. It's a fascinating world. They have a massive following and that's what's enabling them to do this clearly. Skinny, what do you think the chances are of this league succeeding? Um, NFTs are what? No freaking tomatoes on my burger. (laughs) Yeah, that is uh, non fungible tokens. What what do you think that means? Skinny? That that sounds Bitcoin to me. Oh, very good. Very good. Did you actually know that? Or are you just totally like, I did not No, I just totally threw a guess out at that. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, that that's the right way to think of it. It's like, so get, before we get into this conversation, I just have to bring this up to you. Cause I think you think it will be the dumbest thing in the world Probably. right now. The big thing being sold online for tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars is the right to own highlight videos like NBA highlights who's who's but who's selling those rights so the nba is involved in it oh okay i was gonna say because it's their they have the rights to it so i would correct. hope they would correct but like so it's called nba top shots and they have it for other sports as well but you think of like going to buy a basketball card right and you have it mm-hmm. and you can there's value in reselling it and cartridges and all that that that's the idea behind all of this like resellers want to get it and have it for their collection and they resell it for more money down the line. It's so, when, so, if Rick, so if, so if Rick Boring had a highlight film dunk, for example, that would be clipped and kept for posterity. Correct. And that, yes, and, that's and they, and they put it together in this little, like kind of cool package. And, but, but I mean, it's no different than like something you would kind of see on Twitter. They've made it a little fancier. It's like in a vertical format and stuff, but there's no different experience to you owning it than there is to me logging on to your collection and watching it. I mean, you have no other, advantages really to owning other than to say you own it and they the nba has agreed that you own this clip right so what's the value in it can you sell commercials around it no you can resell it down the line you can say hey i own these these things but i i i can't quite i think my mind around it i I, I cannot figure out why people are spending tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars on these things I, i can't either when technically you could probably find those for free well, you, you definitely can. I mean, I can go in and watch them right now. It's not like they've been blocked to the rest of the public after you bought it. But I mean, is there a way is, people like saying I own it? I was going to say, do you think in the future that's what you could do with it is block the content? No. Find a I way to block it? I, I, don't, I don't think know how that's the case it. at all. I mean, there's no okay. way with piracy and the way the internet yeah. works. And I, I, I yeah, don't, that I, doesn't seem to be the point of it to these people either. So okay, I get it yeah, with I, some I, other things like people are selling, you know, there's some big 
influencers that are like selling something that's a, a digital token or whatever, but then they kind of give you, if you have a token, then you get VIP access to them in different ways and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, that just seems like a different way of packaging a, a paywall or something. You right, know, to me, that's right. no real different than a lot of stuff out there on the internet. But this whole like selling highlights for hundreds of thousands of dollars makes zero sense to me. Okay, anyway, yeah, I think it's stupid. So yeah, you think this basketball right, league has any chance of working. I, I do and I don't. Um, I, I mean, how many games are you going to play? How long is a season? Um, is it going to be mimicking a college season, perhaps, and mimicking the number of college games? Are you going to get coached at a high level? Um, I, I think the, the benefits, obviously, are the financials part, part of this. Um, you could also argue that some kids are going to colleges with the McDonald's money or McDonald's bag worth of money that's probably equal to $100,000 anyway. But um, yeah, and I mean, I think for some guys, I mean, if there are some classes academically, that's probably gives them a little, at least you're not slothing around all day doing nothing and then rolling into the gym and putting up a few shots and calling it a day. I think there is something to be said about structure of college basketball, even for a year. But, but I can honestly, I understand the, the, the trend towards this because I do think it gives some of the high-level guys that option to go make some good cash right away. I think it, again, throws the name, like likeness, and image stuff at the forefront of which the NCAA has got to quit dragging their feet on. Um, so I, do I think it could work? Yeah, I do think, though, that you're going to have some of those high-level guys opting. So then it becomes, let's just say if it's the top 50 prospects, the 30 of those guys, let's go 35 of those guys go the college route and 15 go to the league, and maybe of those 15, maybe there's a Zion of the group, but then the rest are some guys that, that only those that are involved in, in you know recruiting nuts will really deep down know about. And at that point, does the league – how? Do, and then how does the league make its money, right? That's the other part to it. Are you, are you Is it you know tickets in that league, in a, in a city? Um, uh, that, that's the other part to me. And so in theory, it sounds great with what they're doing to, to compensate the players, but then how's the league going to make money when all said and done? No, no one cares about the G League. If the G League's not funded by the NBA, nobody cares. Um, nobody cares about schlock minor league basketball leagues. They just don't. Even in the cities they're in, those people don't care because they realize that I'm going to see this guy for a year. He's gone. And honestly, if he was any good, he'd be playing in the NBA anyway. I just, that's the only part for me. I just don't know if, it, if, if the league is viable. I think it's probably viable for some players for sure. That's what's fascinating about this, the fact that overtime is doing this because I would imagine their idea is to not even pack big arenas with fans. I would, yeah, I would hope I, not. I, I would, would assume hope revenue that, stream for it. I would assume their play is online, promoting these kids online because, in a way, they're already and it, it's kind of weird the way, from my perspective, the way they do this. Like they have these, they've turned these middle schoolers into reality stars, like middle school basketball players into reality stars. I mean, not we're not just talking about LeBron James's son anymore. We're talking about other random kids who happen to be talented and kind of have a big personality, or more accurately, in, in a lot of cases, uh, an overbearing parent. But, but they're not, comp, but they're not, but they're probably not, com, well, they're not compensating them yet. So we're talking about compensating multiple guys, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Can you make enough money to recoup that? Right. And I mean, I would assume they have pretty good financial backing. It They've raised more than 60 million in funding, including 23, two years ago. So I, I, I think they, they have a lot of backing. They can make some money, but I'm more interested in, because like you said, I don't know that they're going to be going to cities and packing arenas or people in towns are going to care about it. But there is this massive online following that consumes all this content and does already care about some of the athletes that are going to be playing because they've come to know about them from following on this overtime 
But if they ask platform. me to pay four ninety nine, am I going to pay my four ninety nine to watch them? That's that's a good question. But I mean, if they're paying tens of thousands for non fungible tokens, uh, <laughs> maybe they'll good be willing call. to shell out the five five good bucks. Call. Good call. You know, there's also the possibility that you just sign a deal with someone like ESPN Plus or you know, any of the other streaming platforms where you're another option on there and, and you make some money that way. So I think do, there's do a think lot of different things yeah. they can do. Do you think, and I guess it comes down to the fundamental, do you think there's value in a kid going to college for even just a year? Yes. Big okay. time. I, I think I do too. I do too. Because I think college right now has the best promotional marketing vehicle for these kids, whether they want to admit it or not, they're not getting compensated for it, at least not legally or above the the table, but they are still getting the best marketing bang for their buck when they're becoming a star in college basketball. Zion Williamson made a lot more money by starring at Duke for that year than he would have if he would have disappeared over in Europe for a year and then came back. Not to be said that it can't be done. I mean, look at what the balls have done with LaMelo's path and everything, but they're a pretty unique situation. I think for most elite guys, their best chance at becoming a household name and and becoming known nationally before they get to the league is by playing college basketball. So if this overtime platform can give guys another way to, to gain a huge following and become a household name without going to college, then I think it can compete. But to me, that's the biggest issue that most of these upstarts are going to have, whether it be that G League Developmental League or this. They they can offer $100,000, but hell, some of these guys are making $200,000 going to college without everyone knowing it. So, right. No, right. That, that's my point. As I said, you get the McDonald's bag of money, probably equal in that in some cases. Yeah, exactly. All right, Skinny, let's get into our betting segment where we're just a uh, uh, listener's worst nightmare right now. Cause I go three and three last week. You go three and three. If you're a listener, you, you want the picks to be good or you want the picks to be bad. You don't want that's them right. to be 500. No, no, they can you're tell so, us or they can fight us, but you, you can't do either if we're going 50 50. So you're nine and 13. I'm nine and 13 overall. I guess the, the play would be to fade us so far in this basketball so far, season. Yeah. Uh, but we'll start out on Saturday. We've got South Carolina at Kentucky. The Wildcats are somehow an eight point favorite. The total is 146. It's because South Carolina is just awful. They are horrible. Garbage. Um, garbage. I, can Kentucky beat anybody by double digits? Probably not. I'm going to roll the dice here with Kentucky. South Carolina doesn't guard a soul. Uh, Frank Martin's probably worn out his welcome pretty quickly there. Um, I, I'll go. I'll go Kentucky 80, South Carolina 68, just so it goes over that 147. All right, so you're on UK and the over. I'm going the exact opposite. I just, I don't, I can't pick. I know South Carolina's terrible. I can't pick UK to win by more than eight points against anyone right now. I just, my brain refuses to let me do it. I'm going Kentucky 74, South Carolina 70. That's South Carolina and the under. I will say Kentucky just cost me on Tuesday night though. So you might want to keep that in the back of your head that I'm a bit bitter. (laughs) Saturday, 9 p.m. We've got Xavier at Marquette. Marquette is actually the one point favorite here, according to Ken Palm, the total at 145. I think Marquette probably is a little more of a favorite on game day, don't you? I don't know about that. I think most people, if you're if you're an objective viewer right now, not frustrated with the Xavier team because you're a fan or you live in the city and you're like, what are these guys doing? You're looking at that game. And you're saying Xavier in a must-win position to make the NCAA tournament versus this Marquette team. I'm going to go with Xavier. So I think 
some money will come in on Xavier's side, actually. Yeah, it's just it, it struck me as odd that they were only a two and a half point favorite at Georgetown um, coming off the Creighton win. So that that's kind of why I'm just gauging where the line would be. Yeah, just based um, on their metrics, they're they're right in the middle of the pack of the Big East. You know, they're not yeah, much better I, than these teams metric wise. Yeah, I had no rationale for the pick over Creighton. I guess I don't have much rationale for this one other than, again, you put yourself into a corner and and the, feels like they backed their way out of the corner against Creighton and then kind of took a deep breath and, and got shoved back in into the corner. So I, I think they come out fighting and clawing. Um, yeah, this is not a very good Marquette team. Uh, I'll, I'll go Xavier. I'll go Xavier 77, Marquette 72. All right, so that will be... Savior covers, and that is 146 you got. So yeah, one point yeah, so. on the over. I'm going with Xavier as well. I'm kind of with you on that. I just think Marquette matchup-wise works well for Xavier. They haven't handled the, the teams that are tougher, the teams that want to punk them, the teams that want to get them on the glass, or the teams that really want to pressure them on the perimeter. Marquette's not a defensive-minded team. They're not a toughness-type team. You know, I think – you know, they let Xavier score a billion points last time they played and, and won on that buzzer beater. So I'm going to go Xavier and uh, the over here as well. I'm going Xavier 81, Marquette 76. So uh, Xavier and the over for me, Xavier and the over for you. And that brings us to Sunday where Cincinnati will take on East Carolina on the road. The Bearcats are one point favorite. The total is 139 in that one. Uh, yeah, I like UC here. Um, you know, the thing, the, the Houston game's gotten blown so out of proportion, got blown so out of proportion the night they lost to Houston um, that it kind of clouds a lot of things along the way. But look, when UC's played teams of like ability, or even in this case, probably still lesser ability, they've they've won those games. And so I, I have no reason to think they don't go win this game as well. I'll go, I'll go UC 72, East Carolina 66. So you've got UC covering and 138. 38, just under. 138. Yeah. Yep. Just under. So I'm with you on UC here. I, I think you're exactly right. Since they've come back from this break, even despite losing multiple guys, they have played well against the teams that they should play well against. I mean, they're not better than many teams in this conference, but the ones that they are, they have beaten since coming back. And I think they'll continue that trend. I'm going to go UC 75, East Carolina 70. So I'm on UC and the over. And, and, and I, I think it helps them. They'll, they'll have a game before that, obviously. And we're doing this on Thursday morning. They're playing Vanderbilt. And that game they picked up tonight, I think they get a win there to continue some momentum going forward. So I think that helps as well going into that game on Sunday. Yeah, there you go. And then finally, since we will not talk before this game gets played, we're going to throw NKU back in the mix. Monday night, 9.30 p.m. Te te technically, technically, we will on the Sunday night podcast, but for purposes of the gambling portion of the yeah, program. Yeah, I'm talking about this podcast. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Oakland, NKU, neutral site in Indianapolis. NKU is a two-point favorite, according to Ken Palm right now. The total is 150. What do you think, Skinny? I, you're going to hate me for this. I'm going to pick NKU to win 73-72 on another buzzer beater. So I'm taking Oakland to cover the two-point spread, it to stay under the total, and NKU to still win the game. How about covering my bases all told right there? Uh, there's nothing about that that I would hate. <laughs> Look, if, if NKU is is moving on, I feel great about that. Uh, we're right in tow with this total. I've got it at 145 as well, but I'm saying NKU covers. I'm going NKU 74, Oakland 71, but my rationale for that skinny was it's tied 71-71 on the final the possession, and Marquez right. Warwick drains a buzzer-beating three right. from NBA range to win it. So Fair, fair enough. I love fair it. Enough. I'm right there with you. NKU in the under for me, Oakland in the under for you, and that 
that brings us to our favorite segment of the podcast, Ask Skinny Anything. We'll jump right into it with a sports question first. Who is Skinny's long shot to make the final four? Do you have one? Uh, Tough question this year. yeah, I guess I guess define long shot for me. Is that like a four or five seed and below? I mean, I'd sometimes say, long shot to me right now. Anyone outside of Gonzaga, Michigan, and Baylor feels like a long <laughs> shot. But yeah, maybe go at least lower than a two seed. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I don't consider uh, I don't consider Illinois a long shot out of that mix for the for the record. Um, and they would be out of that mix. Um, you know, this is gonna sound so homers. There's two teams. I, I don't think they have great shots at this. But I kind of, if we're looking at long shoddy, I think Tennessee's got some really good personnel and parts. And they're going to be in what, the, about the probably the five or six seed line of that. Um, that takes you into the Kansas, Florida States. I love Florida State, too. I don't consider them a long shot. I don't think you'd consider them a long shot. But the fact that they don't have the lineage of doing it, um, I certainly, I, I, they're to me a great medium shot play because you talk about having some dudes. I, I think they're really, really good. So if you give me a medium shot, it would be Florida State. You give me a long shot in that vein. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go with, I think I'm gonna go with Tennessee. Yeah, for me, the issue with Tennessee is that they're not a, they don't score it well, and I, I just don't like teams in March that can't in the tournament. Score. I'm with you. Uh, I, I can note you. I, I tell you what, the team that I do, and they're probably more of a, a mid-level shot, but the team that I, I kind of like this year, and I like the narrative that it would provide too, is Texas. This is the first year that Shaka Smart actually has an offense to go with that defense, and his defense has always been really well, solid since he got to Texas. Yeah, they, they just they, they feel to me like it, they just don't seem like they can win a big game. It feels like every big game this year they've lost. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, say, they did win. I will they say, did win the overtime game at home against Kansas, but then that was sandwiched in between the the losses to West Virginia and Texas Tech. So, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the same point. league though, and they've got a dude, and they're starting to play really well on top of it. Is Oklahoma State? Well, here's the thing: they've got to be eligible for the tournament. Still, we've got well, to figure true. out what's that's going true. on that's with their appeal. That's there, a good call. Hopefully, the NCAA yep. won't say anything before the tournament starts because it would be. Really unfortunate if we were robbed of watching Cade Cunningham, their star point guard, you know, 6'8", going to be the number one pick overall in the draft, not play in the NCAA tournament. That would be terrible. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And really, I mean, I'm looking at some of these other teams in the mid-level, you know, the, the 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 lines. I just don't find anybody that's appealing to me. I'm with I mean, you. I mean, like, honestly, this is the first year that I can recall in a while where I am enamored with the favorites. I mean, I just agreed. Gonzaga and Michigan are by far the best teams, and Baylor's not too far behind those two teams. And, and I, Illinois is pretty damn good, man. I know they're missing a key part, but they won. They clobbered Michigan without that key part. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think this is a year where I really think the the number one seeds are are really good, which means we'll have. 11 seeds in the final four. Probably. I mean, here's, here's, the, here's the thing. Here's the, here on bracket matrix, Rick, is the four seed line. And, and, and I just bought up Oklahoma State if we're looking for teams. But here's the four seed line. Arkansas, Texas, Purdue, Oklahoma State. I do like Arkansas because they've got some experience and some guys that have, have done it before with other programs. But I can't be enamored with them going to the fun. None of them. You pick Texas. But still, I just made a case against them. The five seed lines are Creighton, Virginia, Texas Tech, Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh it's not great after that that one seed line to be quite honest i'm i don't love anybody i think ohio state at the two seed line when they're at their best they're tough but they're very beatable at the same time I can see them getting beaten the second round too i iowa doesn't guard anybody they could be an early right. out but they could also make a run 
uh, if they get the right draw. Well, West Virginia, and if I don't love. And if you are a big believer in offense winning in March, and I know that used to be the narrative of defense winning in March, and that's kind of been disproven. Um, that Iowa team is intriguing because you could certainly see them getting hot for for four games to make a Final Four. They've got they've got the uh, at least a key piece to go through, and if CJ Frederick's healthy, gives them a, a steadying influence. I think they've been much better when he's been around. Um, they they do true. have a lot of nice parts. Yeah, they're they are a much better team when CJ Frederick is playing. I I will agree with that. All right, Skinny, what gets the juices going more, taking a charge or diving on the floor when it's completely unnecessary? Uh, taking a charge because because there's a there's a I, I don't I, I never have found the diving on the floor when it's unnecessary to be a, a key component. Now, diving on the floor when there's a ball at your feet and you just reach down to pick it up and some other guy comes and takes it away, then I'm not very happy about it. There, there's got to be a reason to dive on the floor other than just diving on the floor. Um, I will say I did have a kid this year, Rick, that made one of the greatest saves I've ever seen. It was a ball rolling from, from mid court to the baseline. Somebody got tipped to the back court for whatever, however it was. And one of my kids starts sprinting after it. And in my mind, I'm like, well, Lee, I, I'll give you the credit for hustling, but you're never going to get to it. By God, if he didn't somehow dive and as he's going out of bounds, somehow tips it right back into one of our guys who comes running from the other end as well on one hop for a lay. It was one of the great saves. I even took a timeout just to go, I still don't know how you got that basketball. I said, Hey, I appreciate the effort. B, um, you know, I, in my mind, I even told I said, I, it looked like false hustle to me, but I do appreciate the hustle. I said, the fact that you somehow say that in bounds is still mind boggling to me. Uh, but yeah, taking a charge. Cause there's a, there's a tangible, um, tangible result at the end of that, which is if they do call the charge, you got the basketball and you stop them from scoring. I just love the idea of skinny saving up timeout. So if guys make a nice hustle play, you can tell them, Hey, oh. That was a nice oh, I do. play. I, I'll take a timeout. There's a, there's a couple guys that, that when they um, that that should shoot the ball more, and when they've made a shot, I've taken a timeout to say, I, I I don't know what else I can tell you. Shoot the ball. You just shot it. You made a shot. Everybody tell them shoot the ball. Shoot the ball. Timeouts over. Go go play. Yeah, that I do that all the right. time. I, I prefer the idea to like see a kid take a charge like a parking cone. You call a timeout and just be man. I love you, man. Oh, I, I've done that. Absolutely, I've done that. Yeah. It's funny, dude. I'm not a big run-stopping timeout guy. I don't want to give the other team the satisfaction of, of me taking a timeout to stop your run. Yeah, I think that's one of the silliest I, things in sports. I do, too. I, I let your guys play. I let the guys play through it. But I will take timeouts for stuff like that. I love I love when fans are like, just saving saving timeouts for later, despite the team going on a 10-0 run. It's like, okay, my dude. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, they were getting great shots during that 10-0 run. They just happened to be missing them. You know, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't I mean, like there needed to be some big adjustment or some personnel change during the run. Correct, correct. Their I team just, got I, hot for a stretch. That's how the right. sport works. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of those. This guy says, I keep feeling more and more like the Bengals will draft Slater even if Sewell is available. Am I crazy? He's talking about the other uh, top yeah. offensive linemen here in, in the NFL upcoming oh, NFL draft. Oh, Oh, my friend, when you talk Bengals, you're not talking anything crazy because they do a lot of crazy things. Um, I, I, I've said this before. I, I, I think you'll know the direction they're going in um, when we get out of March, um, when you've seen what they've done or haven't done in free agency. If you see them have addressed, and I think you're going to, I mean, next week in the NFL is going to be an absolute bloodbath. And I saw Diana Rossini tweet that, and I've, I've thought that all along, and you're starting to see it trickle out a little bit, where you're starting to see some, some guys who – still have a lot of juice left that are getting cut for literal salary cap reasons because teams have to have to finagle the money. You're going to see, I think, some not just guys who you already know are free agents on the market. You're going to see some other – I mean, like Gabe Jackson just got cut by the Raiders. I know everybody wants Joe Tooney. Gabe Jackson's a good player um, and may come at a cheaper price. So I think you're going to see – 
you're going to see the direction they're going in um, coming out of uh, coming out of, of of March. And if you don't see them address offensive line, which would be an absolute disservice and disgrace, um, then yeah, I think if it's not Penny Sewell, then they will probably go the offensive line route. I, I I hope that's not the case. I do think they will address offensive line in free agency just because there's going to be the thing is there's going to be a market for those guys, and then I think you're also going to get some value with those guys just because the market's so flooded with them. That you know what they can't play you against another team. You're playing them against another player. Well, there'd no, be nothing wrong with the market being flooded with good offensive linemen because the Bengals need as much help as they can get there. Uh, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern is slotted as like a top fifteen-ish prospect. Yeah, a not, lot of pe- not, people I'm have him in the top t- ten to fifteen. It seems like I'm not doing it. I've told you I'm not doing it. No matter if it's Penn A. Sewell or whoever, I'm just not doing it with the fifth pick. Fair enough. I I need a home run. I'm not guaranteed one of the offensive linemen is a home run. What's Skinny's favorite sports movie of all time and why? Um, I am a sucker for Field of Dreams, man. That and Miracle on Ice. Those are those are two. Miracle on Ice. It's just the the build up of that. Just I thought Kurt Russell as Herb Brooks was just fabulous. Um, my my favorite scene is when he does the equivalent of sprints at the end of a practice where he just keeps sending them. And you can just tell guys are dying and he has just had enough. And it's the time of he's going to break them and then rebuild them back up. Um, it was just, uh, I, I thought that movie, that, that, I, I, you know, it's one of those ones when you know the ending, it better have great buildup because you know the ending because the ending actually happened. That to me um, was one field of dreams at the end. It still gets, I still cry every time. Dad, you want to have a game of catch? I just, I, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. And I'm not a sap. I don't, I don't cry it very much at all, um, but that one gets me. We Are Marshall got me a little bit too, for sure. Um, I thought that was well done. I know Rick hates Hoosiers. I still like Hoosiers, um, but it's not my favorite of all time. So, yeah, I'm going to go Miracle on Ice or or, uh, or Field of Dreams. I appreciate you bringing up my disdain for Hoosiers. Uh, Hoosiers was on the other morning, actually. I watched a little bit. I was on at like 7.30 in the morning, and uh, I was flipping around during a news commercial break and kind of latched onto it for a bit. You part, know, where Ollie make, part, part where Ollie makes his underhand free throw to, to win the sectional. You know what they put on at 7 a.m.? Bad movies. Garbage. Garbage. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm above the rim. He got game. Definitely kind of up there for me. Top movies. Um, you know, I think Moneyball was pretty darn good in terms Moneyball of just actually was, being was an interesting good. movie. Yeah, I enjoyed it's just, watching that. It's um, I, I'm I'm drawing a blank on the actor's name who played the fat, fat guy. Dad gone. His assistant, oh, Billy uh, assistant. um, Jonah, Jonah um, Hill, Jonah Hill. Thank you. Yeah. Um, he just looked miscast. Really? I yeah, thought he was great he, in it. I thought he was good in it, but he just looked miscast for some yeah, reason. I guess that's but, fair. Yeah, I thought my the thing about Moneyball is I like the fact the one thing I hate about sports movies a lot of times. And I know this is probably where Hoosiers does it for you. Although I think it did replicate the time and the way the game was played. A lot of sports movies, the sports action is just hilariously bad. And that was the part about Moneyball is they interspliced enough legit stuff um, to go along with it and some real footage that it it felt real. I mean, even the David Justice character taking batting practice felt real um, to me. So, yeah, I, I thought that movie was well done as well. I I, I, I still, you know, if, if I've watched a sports movie four, five, six times, I probably like it. And I've probably watched Moneyball four, five or six times. Yeah, that, that's like a real movie, though. It, it wasn't really about, I mean, it is about sports, but it wasn't about the sports action. It I, was thought about Brad Pitt was, I thought Brad scenes. Pitt was great. 
Yeah, he was, he was really good. And and so that's a little bit different category almost, but it's definitely a sports movie. I, I don't like most sports movies that are about like playing a game. You know, it's it's really hard to watch for the reasons you've mentioned typically. It's just yeah, the, the sports corny, actually just like, like, poorly done. like any of those, that. What was that movie? The Replacements with Gene Hackman and Keanu Reeves where he played the quarterback. Yeah, just awful. The I, Al Pacino, that Al Pacino, any given Sunday, the action was just horrific. I, I actually, any given Sunday is pretty great because the one part with the dude's eyeball pops out, and uh, the one where they get like first vision cam, where you're like inside the helmet and it's all like Vars- and furry. V- varsity Blues. I, mean, I never saw Varsity Blues, believe it or not. Yeah, you, you didn't miss much. Are you a white men can't jump guy? I, no, I was. I will say, well, um, Friday Night Lights was. Um, Friday Night Lights was. I thought the action and that was pretty good. Uh, the TV show much better though. See, I didn't watch much of the TV show. I think I've said that. Uh, who, what, what movie did you say, Rick? And yes, the answer is yes. And I just draw a blank. You just said my big. Well, white man can't jump. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just think that's a fun. I, I just that's a, I just think the the movie itself, the characters are just fabulous. Where are you at on this movie? Has been overplayed, and so I think people are kind of like down on it now. It's like it's cliche, but to me, this is like a much better version of what everyone wants Hoosiers to be. Remember the Titans. Where are you at on that? Yeah, no, I I, I like it. Um, yeah, it's it's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah, fine. it's solid. Yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't if I'm flipping around and it's on. I'd probably, I don't know if I watch it start to finish again, but I'd watch. Yeah. Also, this is just totally all random. the right. Oh, all, all the right moves too with Tom Cruise from 1983. Go look it. Never up. seen that. Craig T. Nelson plays his mean ass high school coach, who then tries to ruin him, and then takes when he gets a job in college, brings him along to get him out of the steel mills of Pennsylvania. This is all the right moves. Not a sports movie, but I just want to ask you about it because it's a debate I've been having recently with people. Have you ever seen the movie Limitless? I don't think so. What is it's, it about? Uh, Bradley Cooper is the main character. Okay. And he takes basically a God drug. You know, it's a drug that allows you to access your entire brain, becomes super smart, like powerful, able to do all these things, but obviously inherent danger comes with that type of, of situation. Course. So it's about, it's about that. But anyway, I think it's a very solid movie. I just watched it again the other night when it was on TV, I enjoyed so it, it again, surprisingly. And, 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 and a lot of people hate on it. Cause it's like a, a simp movie that, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a very basic plot line. The idea that there's just like this God drug out there, but I think it's interesting. I enjoy it. Okay. All and right. Bradley Cooper's good. He's, I like Bradley Cooper. I'm he's you. believable. He goes from like a downtrodden writer, which you can kind of see. And then he becomes That's this, me really good looking rich guy, which you can also see. Okay. I, I, I want to take this drug then. That's he me. I'm a downtrodden rules. writer. <laughs> I That's right. Take the God drug. Yeah, no, I, I mean, everyone would love to take a God drug who wins is the Delta Bravo cha- national champion in this elite eight. Uh, basically pick the, the worst person out of these Dan okay. Dockich, Colin Coward, Jim Rome, Jim Gray, Chris Berman, Bill Walton, Stephen A. Smith and Darren Ravel. I'm going to say yeah, I, Bill I, Walton I, doesn't deserve to be on this list. No, as much as I'm not a big fan of Bill Walton as a, as a broadcaster. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I can't hate on Bill Walton. I just don't enjoy his work. It doesn't mean I don't like him. I think he's got some redeeming qualities. Yeah, a, I don't think he's um, a Delta Bravo. You know, I, I don't follow Darren Ravel enough on Twitter to hate him like most do. But uh, he seems like a very unlikable guy to a lot of people. That's yeah. what it seems like. What does I guess I... Most of the time I follow a tweet of his, it's actually something of interest. Like I think today the, the topic we came out of was the first tweet I saw was his tweet about the, the new league. So what does he do on Twitter? That is it political? Is it no. Is he troll? He's yes. I, smarmy 
smarter than smarmy, everybody. Smarmy is a great word for him. Okay. Also, just like he he acts like he's in on the joke and self-aware and he wants to be part of internet culture and joke around with the guys and like he'll interact with people. Like, for instance, he's had these interactions with Barstool. They have this huge platform. And so he wants to be in on it with them and, and joke around with them. And then like the next week, he's like wanting to cancel Barstool. And, and you know what I mean? He's just one of those guys. That gets, it's like either you're you're in you're in the mud or you're not. If you want to play online, you want to play the game, you want to be on the jokes, then you're part of that. Like, then don't go back and then be like a dead spin writer after that. You know what I mean? And be, you want to cancel everybody. I don't know. He's just, he's intolerable. So um, he's probably, he, I guess he'd be the guy just because of all the reputation I've heard of him. So go through the list again and let's just eliminate these guys. One Bill Walton, we've yep. already eliminated off the list. Bill Walton is to me the, the best guy on this list. And somehow Stephen A. Smith might actually be like my favorite. It's either Walton or Stephen yeah, A. Smith not that a, are my favorite on this list, even though. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. A, I, 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 I can't stand Stephen A. Smith's work. I just can't stand it. I, I don't listen to him. I don't respect him. But at the same time, I don't think he's a bad guy. Yeah, I've heard Chris Berman can be a jerk, but at the same yes. time, he's more of like an old guy that I kind of feel bad for at this point. He's just got a shtick, and it's kind of we just make Jim, fun of it and laugh now. Jim, Nan- Jim Nance? No, I don't think Jim Nance is a bad guy. He, he's not on here. He's it's Jim oh, Gray and Jim Rome. Oh, two two other Jims. Again, Jim Rome. I've never liked his work either. Boom, out of here. Uh, Colin Coward. I really don't like his work either. Yeah, um, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you who my least favorite is. It's Dan Dockage. He's the worst. Yeah, but I. I, I I, I, I do like listening to him talk about the games that's going on. I, I, I do, but I know, I know he's, he's a lot of folks don't like him. So I guess based just on, on, on all the things about Darren Ravel that I keep hearing people talk about. And like I said, I don't follow him enough on Twitter other than occasionally uh, a link he's tweeted out. I guess he'd be the guy. Cause it just seems well, pretty universal about what a turd he seems to yeah, be, but that's a terrible pick. If you don't, if you don't dislike him, I know Which that guy do you I know. dislike out of this group, out of that group. Yeah, but see, I don't, did he did he say? I thought he said it was is was guys that were bad guys. Well, I, I was Bravo is. Uh, yeah, I know. For, yeah, I know. Right. Um, I'll believe it or not, I'll go Jim Rome out of that group. I, I think that's a, a pretty good pick, actually. Uh, mine, mine is Dockage, but I, Rome, uh, Jim Gray is pretty high up there too. He, he is just because that segment he does on, on Monday night football or Sunday night football, whatever's on radio with Tom Brady makes me want to vomit. Oh, I think it's hilarious when he interviews boxers right after fights. Cause those yeah. are all, always ridiculous interviews anyway. And he's so unlikable when he asks questions and he always tries to be like this hard hitting reporter and in boxing, it's hilarious. Cause they'll just cuss you out or right, correct, Adrian correct. Brenner act like he's going to fight Jim Gray. So <laughs> I do like him doing ringside interviews. Other than that, he's totally unlikable. All right, our guy Jeremy Rao uh, wants to know, has Skinny found a new punchable face in the local Cincinnati media, or is it still me? I'll hang up and listen. Um, <laughs> uh, still no, pretty yeah, punchable. Still, still pretty punchable. Yeah, still pretty punchable. I love you, though. He's my guy. I like Jeremy Rao. He's a good dude. How can you not for like those, Jeremy? For, the, for, the, for those that honestly know, that that is an inside joke and a, and a good one. I, I it came up on a podcast one day, and um, we actually played it off where I fake punched him at a thing, and I think Joe Daneman took a picture. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Jeremy, you're still the winner, but I still like you. You're still my guy. Yeah, but fairly punchable face. Still, fairly, pun- fairly punchable. Yeah, fairly punchable. What's something trend, clothing, culture, et cetera, from your childhood you'd like to see come back? 
Trend clothing, nothing clothing from my job, dude. I grew up in the 70s, bro. There ain't nothing redeeming about anything clothing wise from the 70s. Not oh, I, one single solitary thing is redeeming from the 70s clothing wise. I'm right there with you because I'm in high school in the early 2000s, which means 2x t shirts that right. go down That's your just, knees and baggy jeans that off your yeah. butt. So that, that just that just doesn't look right. Um, no. I have to say, the youth right now, for as much crap as they get they're much better at dressing than really no question. any of our generations have been. They wear like form-fitting clothes and yes, cor- yeah, dress no. really nicely. I- Absolutely. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, even even like sweats anymore are, 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 are oh, very form-fitting. Yeah, Correct. But th- yeah. But then when they, but like when they go out, I mean, it's like when we went to the movies, it was like we dressed like trash and these kids are all like in button downs or polos and form-fitting clothes. It's like the younger generation, the one thing they've gotten right is fashion. Yeah. I was going to say, probably from my childhood, I, there's nothing, there's, I, life has evolved pretty nicely. I, I guess, honestly, it would be the ability, I, I'd like to go back to a time when I could unplug and there was no computer to plug into. I, I, I like that time. Yeah, that would. That it, would it was a more a peaceful era. time. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I kind of like, I like the era of the rotary telephone. I like the era of, 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 of a landline. I really do. I like that era. I don't always want to be reached. Do you? No, but I, but see, here's the thing. I can't. Ima- I love can't the convenience imagine, of it. Yeah, not having social media, not having it. Could you imagine me trying to drive around without a GPS? If I could oh, dude, just plug it, something in and go there. This is so funny. I wish I could remember where the heck I was driving to. I'd be I was driving to, 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 I was driving to a basketball game. I can't remember. Oh, I guess I was driving down to Pendleton County, and I know how to get there probably without a GPS. But I plugged it in, and I kept thinking to myself. Man, back when I first got a job out of college, I covered the 10th region when there was no double A highway. Um, I worked in Maysville, Kentucky, and I had to drive these back roads to like Mount Olivet and Brooksville. I'm thinking, how in the hell did I get there without a GPS? Hey, MapQuest doesn't tell you when you made a wrong turn. Dude, there wasn't even MapQuest back then. There was a map. <laughs> or you asked, how do you get there? Well, you go up to 10 and you take, a, you take a left up to 10. Then you see Farmer Johnson's house. You'll know it by the sign of it. And then you turn right there. And then you go up another few miles and you turn, and you turn left at Farmer Jones' house. I have no idea where I'm going. I'm just driving back roads of, of Bracken County and Pendleton County and, and Robertson County trying to find places. For the record, do not stop at Farmer Jones' house. If you yeah, you need to make a call, you just keep on going. Some people have not come out alive. Yeah, you don't want to do that. No, right. seriously. I, it's fine. Dude, GPS is such a – and as much driving as I go do to broadcast high school games in different – even in Ohio, um, you know, I – you know, there was a bunch of games up at the Lakotas and the Fairfields. And yeah, I know how to get to them pretty much by memory, but it's still the comfort of just putting that in my phone and just making sure. And then it sometimes will take you, there, there's a cup, I think going to Fairfield high school, I used to go a whole different way than what, what my GPS takes me from my house. It probably, I bet you it saves me probably 10 minutes. I, you know, and that, 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 no, I, I can't, I can't live without it. That's the one part. So yeah, I mean, I'll go back to the rotary telephone and the landline, but I, I do like my GPS. I'm with you. I can't even picture Jim Kelch and I going to these various Horizon right. League cities and trying to get a meal without Yelp. I mean, that is like, <laughs> I, I just, like, I can't go Dude, without. Dude, everybody has an Applebee's food. for goodness sakes. Everybody's got an O'Charlie's or a TGI Friday's. Come on, man. Yeah, but that'd be, that's what I'm trying to avoid is having to okay. do that everywhere. I'm you with know you. I mean? like, I'm with you. It's, it's uh yeah, I just can't go back to an era where we don't have smartphones, I don't think. I, w- I wouldn't wish that off. I will say, though, I would like 
now the issue is what came with it was the fashion that I referenced, which was horrible. But I did think the two, the 2000 music era that I came up with was better. I'm with you. Like I, I agree of, with that. We listened to a lot of like alternative 90s rock for some reason. That was like our oldies, essentially. Everyone listened to that rock and the hip hop was way better. Correct. I agree with that wholeheartedly. In fact, uh, if I listen to hip hop now on, on the radio, it's usually got to be a, 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 a retro one that does songs from the 90s and the, in the 2000s. In fact, there's there's times when I flip through my radio dial and if it's not an oldies or even even that, I'm like, this is crap. This is just crap music today. God, I sound so old doing this podcast yep. with you. And right I'm now, older. Talking like this, I know. All I right, go back what, to the big band era. What's your favorite activity to do in each season of the year? And he said, for the record, doing something like drinking somewhere counts. <laughs> I just, I think uh, you, to mean like, it didn't have to be like a sport or something, I guess. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, basketball season, I'm coaching almost every night in some capacity. So that, that gets me through the long winter months. I will say, and I enjoy golf when the weather turns nice, but I also enjoy when the weather turns nice, being able to sit on my back, under my back. Uh, I have a deck, but then I have a kind of a patio underneath it. I love sitting under that um, with a drink in my hand, listening to a ball game. I, I, I'll, I'll do that a, a lot of times. So if that counts as an activity, I'll go for that in that time frame. Um, and in, in the fall, it's hard just because fall is so busy for me because of covering football. So, you know, that, that to me, honestly, it's not a favorite activity, but it's simply work. So I'll go work in the fall, um, coaching in the, in the winter, and then spring into summer is literally golf and sitting out back, listening to a Reds game with a cold drink in my hand. Yeah, that that's pretty tough to beat. I I'm gonna say the, the when it starts getting warm, going into spring, maybe not outside at my house, but I mean I do like a good a good deck beer. But that first beer where you go outside to drink with like a group where you're yep. sitting outside somewhere, barley corns patio or O'Brien's wherever, that is impossible to beat. That's got to be my uh, favorite for call. spring. Good Summer, call. I'm gonna go the disc golf route. I mean, it's just something so easy after I get off my overnight shift at nine in the morning to just head up to the park with the dog and walk five miles and sweat and listen to podcasts. That's, that's pretty tough to beat. Then fall, it's gotta be a Saturday over in Lawrenceburg watching games, betting, doing, doing a little lunch. I, I will the, say I, 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 it's kind of funny. That's one of the few days I can take off unless I'm traveling, flying somewhere in this past year. Obviously we didn't travel because of COVID. Um, so I did have more time on a Saturday to do just that. Maybe go make a bunch of plays on a Friday and just kind of veg out on Saturday from noon to whatever. Now I also had some broadcast stuff on Saturdays, but the few Saturdays I got to do what you're talking about, Rick, uh, that's a, that's a pretty good feeling. Cause and I don't want to start drinking too early. Cause I want to be able to watch some of the night games, maybe, maybe make my first drink or crack my first beer around five 36, have a nice, you know, in-home dinner, of some kind, maybe get some carry out and be able to watch. Usually there's, there's a great night game on right after the three 30 CBS games. I'm with you. That's, that's a, I, I'm a big fan of the Saturdays of literally doing nothing other than maybe having a wager on a game, a cold beverage or two, and just watching from noon until midnight. Yeah, that's, that's pretty tough to be. And then winter, it's obviously for both of us basketball. I mean, you yeah, coaching yeah. or me just going to any various games. I, I wouldn't do all of this if I didn't enjoy it. Cause Lord knows it's no not sleep. for sleep or money. I, I, I did have a guy. We, we, we had a game last night um, down at Bracken County, and, and I did have a couple of my assistants that, that, that uh, I guess, heard you on the radio yesterday. I know you do a regular segment with Mo Egger on Wednesdays, and they asked me if we did the podcast, and I said, no, we're doing it tomorrow. Rick was pretty, pretty busy, and they did. They said, does he sleep? I go, honestly, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Sometimes. 
occasionally. I try to sneak in when I can. Man. I mean, it helps when, when you're going to basketball games, you know, like if well, I was shoveling snow or but, but uh, I will tell packages, you, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, between me coaching and I probably broadcast um, 40 or 50 high school games this year, there is a level of energy to all of that between coaching and broadcast. I mean, you, you just can't get behind the mic and just be monotone, monotone mic. I mean, you, you've got to bring some level of energy to it. So oh, the, the uh, that could be hard to do when you're exhausted. I mean, that's certainly not a problem for me, considering the whole tri-state area just got to hear what it sounded like when I lost my virginity, which was the same exact sound I made when NKU wanted to tip in. I I thought the call was fine. I thought it was fine. I'm glad you thought that. I thought Jim was great. I thought I was embarrassing. I thought thought Jim understated it a little bit. The way he he didn't lose his mind, and maybe that's the pro in him, I I honestly wasn't sure the basket counted because it was almost like he was – he didn't want to say it counted when he wasn't for sure it counted initially. Yeah, well, I mean that was that was part of the the confusion of like, right. well, are they going to count this or had to go to the and you got to understand we're also not anywhere near the court where we're broadcasting these. Yeah, games I, anymore, I, and so I do it's understand a much that, different yeah, vantage point that's too. A good, so that's a good call. So a little I, delay and whether we know if it's good or not. And, and do you know this? And I don't. Uh, is, Z- is Xavier not traveling its broadcasters? Joe and Byron? No, no, they're not. Well, I, I will say the first time I really noticed it. I mean, it sounded like they were in total silence the other night against Georgetown. I mean, total silence. Yeah, like they, they probably were. Doing it from, were. A, from, from, a, from a from a closet in a faraway place where there was no one else in the room but the two of them and no ambiance. Clear Channel has been putting a, a crowd noise, a live crowd noise. Yeah, that's what I thought. Track behind the broadcast. We had one during our Green Bay games, which we broadcasted from a, a room inside BB&T Arena. Uh, I know I've heard it on uc's broadcast as well and yes I don't, yes i have know, to assume xavier has the same thing so but they didn't have it for this game yeah they must silence. have forgot to put it on okay all right but that's it that's all i that's got it. good yep. stuff man appreciate it appreciate the questions as always uh we'll be back on sunday night rick chad brendel from bearcat journal myself for our weekly college basketball podcast as we move to within uh a couple of weeks of selection sunday we're getting there inch by inch by inch Uh, So we'll have that for you then. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pokery edition.